Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. We'll have it for you here on the screen as well. But I want to jump right into this. For those of you that have been attending the last couple of weeks or a few months now, we've been going through a sermon series through the entire book of Mark called The Unexpected King. And so today, Easter Sunday, we're going to finish that sermon series. But if you haven't been here, that's totally okay. I believe that this sermon will stand alone and God will speak to you. The Gospel of Mark summarizes Easter like this. Early Sunday morning, three women headed to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. What they discovered next were several unexplainable, supernatural occurrences. Now, unable to comprehend what was going on, unable to comprehend what they were experiencing, they ran away in awe and silencing fear. Today, we're going to conclude our Unexpected King series with the most unexpected events ever to take place in human history. And if you have your Bibles, We'll start with Mark chapter 16, and I'll read verses 1 through 8. And it reads like this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. In his final chapter, Mark, true to form, quickly covers the resurrection story. And for the rest of our time together today, I want to highlight three unexpected elements that took place in this story. Now, if you're taking notes, I'll give you a heads up. We're going to highlight these three unexpected elements. Number one, the unexpected witnesses. Number two, the unexpected news. And then finally, we'll finish today's message by talking about Mark's unexpected ending. 
Heavenly Father, again, we come before you. We pray that you would speak through your word, that your words would not come back void, that good seed would be planted on good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in a court of law, the credibility of a witness can make or break a case. Unfortunately, in the first century AD, women were not considered credible witnesses. I'm sorry, women, but even in a Jewish court of law, you would not have been given the right to testify. Yet, according to Scripture, right after God had just performed his greatest redemptive act, the first human witnesses chosen sovereignly to discover the empty tomb were women. Now, I want you to think about this. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ was made up, uh, if his followers had concocted or invented this story, why would they have made the mistake of making women their first and key witnesses to the disciples of the resurrection? Culturally, they would have never have thought to do that. Let me tell you why they did that. Listen, with no cultural credibility, the only way women end up as key witnesses to this event is if, in fact, the resurrection is true. Now, I want you to take a step back and notice what brought the women to the tomb that morning. You see, it was customary for Jews to anoint dead bodies with oil and spices. This wasn't just a sign of respect, but it was literally a way that they would reduce the odor of a decaying corpse. Now, what does this tell us about the expectations of the women going to the tomb on Easter morning? Well, it tells you this. They expected to find a dead body. These women were unbelievers. Now, let me explain. You see, Jesus predicted his death at least three times in the book of Mark. He also said plainly to those who were following him, after three days, I will rise. Now, you'd think that the women who had faithfully followed him in this life and in his life would now approach the tomb on the third day with a, at least a very little glimmer of hope. Yet, there they were, carrying spices to the tomb, certain that they would be anointing a dead body. Now, I want to pause there because while I was reflecting on this thought, I thought to myself, there are going to be some here today that have more in common with these women than you think. You see, like them, you woke up early on Easter morning and you arrived to church a skeptic. You arrived to church a doubter wrestling with your unbelief. You might have even come into church today fading in your faith, attempting to pay respect to a Savior you lost confidence in somewhere along the road. But I want to remind you that the beauty of the gospel and the truth of the empty tomb 
still has the power to captivate you. It still has the power to bring faith in you. It still has the power to change and transform your life. Now, you might even be a regular church attender in the building today. You might be a member who serves on a team and regularly attends Connects, but you still may feel like these women. So you come to worship every Sunday, a risen Savior, but it regularly feels like you're just coming to pay respects to a dead body. Now, I want you to know this. Easter Sunday is for you, member of a church. Easter Sunday is for you, regular attender. This is just as much as it is for you as it is for the skeptic or the unbeliever. Here's my advice to you. If you're feeling a little dull and down in your worship, trust in the gospel again and cast away everything else you've made it. Now, watch. Not only were they unexpected witnesses who had lost hope, but they were women with sinful pasts. I love the fact that Mark names Mary Magdalene first. Why should this matter to you and I? Let me tell you why it matters. Because we're told in Scripture that when Mary Magdalene first met Jesus, she was filled with seven demons. Now, I can't imagine the evils she was exposed to in her life. And I can't imagine the evils that she opened herself up to in life that allowed seven spirits to control her. But here's what I do know. When she met Jesus, she was set free. Please, please, please don't be fooled by the ridiculous notions that are out there that would suggest that she had some kind of secret affair with Jesus. Her love for Christ was not motivated by sexual desire, but by true worship. She met Jesus in her lowest place, at her lowest point, and he delivered her from demonic oppression. She was faithful to Christ, not because of sexual desire, but because of worship. He delivered her. Now, when I think about this story, I am in awe of God, and let me tell you why. It's difficult enough for the world to accept the resurrection. Wouldn't you agree? It's difficult enough for the world to embrace Jesus at the Son of God. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Yet, <laughs> out of all the things God could have done in his power to help out his cause, the last thing anyone would have ever expected was for the wisdom of God to be seen through his sovereign choice of skeptical sinful, culturally disqualified women to have the privilege to being the first to witness to his resurrection. But this is the gospel. This is the glorious gospel. This is the good news of Easter. In Christ, the unqualified are qualified. In Christ, those who lack cultural credibility are made credible. 
Not because they've earned it, not because they deserved it, but because Jesus has accomplished it for them in his life, death, and resurrection. The unexpected witnesses now become the first to hear the unexpected news. Now, Scripture tells us they were shocked by the rolled away stone. Can I just make a comment there? The women were on their way to the, to the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body, and they remembered, we need to roll this stone away. And usually, several men could roll this stone away. It was very difficult, but several men could roll this stone away. And I asked myself, where were the men? The disciples were cowering and hiding while the women were at the foot of the cross and running to the tomb. I'm so sick and tired of people saying that Christianity is patriarchal and that it puts women down. I want you to know that the first witnesses at the tomb were women empowered to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were there before the men. Now, sometimes I feel like when I look at our churches, the women are still there and the men are somewhere hiding. Men, we need to stand up. Amen. Let me get off my high horse. Shocked by the rolled away stone and shook by the literal appearance of an angel. Listen closely to what these three women were told. He has risen. He is not here. See where they laid him. I want to make something absolutely clear today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a bodily resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. One of the greatest and most dangerous threats against the Easter story is this. It's the temptation to categorize the resurrection of Christ as meaning but not history. You see, there are some who suggest The resurrection is only a metaphor for enlightenment. Others claim the resurrection was a spiritual resurrection. Many are abandoning the biblical truth of a risen Savior in favor of something that they can logically explain. Now, why should this matter to us today? Because Christ has come to make all things new, including the physical world. A resurrection that only redeems the spiritual is a resurrection that is powerless to redeem the material. A resurrection that only symbolizes enlightenment is a resurrection that could care less about the environment. If Christ does not raise bodily, physically, then the physical world means nothing to God. But as Christians, this is not what we are taught. God created the physical world. And though sin has contaminated it, his plan was always to redeem what he has created. If Easter is not about a dead body coming back to life, then it's not worth celebrating. 
if Easter is not a story about a body that actually goes through death and comes out on the other side, then it's not an Easter worth celebrating. The Apostle Paul says, if Jesus' body did not get up and walk out of the tomb, then it would be foolish for any of us to celebrate Easter. Christians would be pitied the most of every other religion. A Jesus whose physical body remain dead in the tomb gives no hope to a physically broken world but a jesus who comes out of the tomb who eats with his disciples who shows his wounds to thomas this is the jesus who reminds us god cares about the world and has begun the task of recreating it every atom by every single atom And most importantly of all, if Christ's physical body rose from the dead, then my body's going to raise from the dead too. Our destiny in Christ is not to spend eternity as spiritual beings in some kind of other existence, but our destiny in Christ is to worship God and worship Christ as physical bodies interacting with creation and creator forever. Did you know that? Did you know that the resurrection will be a bodily resurrection? Did you know that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth? And did you know that our physical bodies will interact with a new heaven and new earth much like but in a much different way than we do now? We won't be living in some immaterial state of consciousness, but we will physically be worshiping the Savior together. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead bodily, then my body won't raise again neither. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead bodily, then God could care less about the physical material world. But he created this world, and he intends to redeem all things. Thank God the stone was rolled away. And now we know why. It wasn't for Jesus to get out, but it was for the women to get in. Thank God the stone was rolled away. It wasn't just for Jesus to get out. It was so that the witnesses, the unexpected witnesses, could go inside and see nobody was there. The unexpected announcement wasn't just that Jesus had risen, but it was also He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Notice no body. No body changes everything. No body changes everything. I'm going to conclude. Mark finishes his gospel. This morning, we have talked about the unexpected witnesses. We've also talked about the unexpected announcement, the unexpected news. And finally, we will finish with Mark's very unexpected ending. Christians, I'm going to shock you. If you're an unbeliever, you're probably going to be like, yeah, okay. Christians, you're going to get shocked a little bit today. 
There's a very unusual ending in the book of Mark. But before we can go there, I have to point out what scholars would call some textual criticism in this text. You see, if you look at your Bibles, you'll notice something odd. There might be a note in parentheses right after verse 8 and right before verse 9 in the book of Mark. So you might notice that. If you open up your Bibles, some of you in your Bibles, right after verse 8, there'll be something in parentheses, a little bit of a note. Now, what does this note mean? What does this note say? All reputable scholars agree that verses 9 all the way through the end of Mark only appear in later texts, but do not appear in the earliest manuscripts of Mark. What does that mean? That means that most likely Mark did not write from verse 9 all the way on. Does that shake you a little bit? Here's the good news. The copyist, who at some point wrote this in, what he wrote in is biblical and corroborated by Luke and Matthew. So what's in there is not, what's in there is not untrue. Other gospel writers have wrote those things. So nothing was added in. But someone looked at the book of Mark and said to themselves, it wasn't supposed to end like this. Did you catch the ending? Scripture says they were astonished. They were trembling. They ran away in fear and they were silenced. And then Mark is done. Why would a gospel writer or author write like this? If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that Mark writes with a purpose. Mark is writing with a purpose and intention. He's engaging his reader with something. But a copyist thought to himself, oh my gosh, how could you end it like this? Maybe Mark forgot. Maybe Mark, they thought maybe there was persecution and so Mark had to run away and maybe the manuscript didn't get finished. This is a strange way to end the resurrection story. Wouldn't you agree? Maybe Mark left something out. Let's look at how it ends again. Verse 8. And they, the women, went out and they fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Done. Mike dropped. Finished. Now again, we know from other gospel accounts that the women did overcome their fear. And they did share the news of the resurrection with the disciples. But what does Mark have in mind leaving us behind with such an unexpected ending? I believe, like any good writer... And there are many scholars who would agree. Mark has intentionally left the story open for his readers. He knew Christians who would go through persecution would be reading his story. He knew that future Christians would be reading this story. So he intentionally leaves his story open 
in order that those who are reading can make some personal decisions themselves. Let me explain. As we prepare to worship, there are two questions I want you to reflect on today. Number one, to those in this room who call themselves followers of Christ, to those in this room who call themselves disciples, to those in this room who find themselves in Christ, would you please consider Mark's ending, witnesses afraid to speak about the resurrection. And before you say, how could they, may we all first say, how could we? As a disciple of Christ, and even as me personally as a pastor of Inspire, I'm challenged by this ending. If I believe the resurrection is what scripture says it is, how can I be silent about the gospel? Yeah, the, the church folk thought Easter wasn't for them, huh? If I believe the resurrection is true, if I believe this is the momentous, greatest historical event in all of humanity, how can I shriek in fear or remain silent? Yet our churches are filled with sometimes timid, fearful members, unwilling to share the beauty of this glorious gospel. Can I say this? There's no such thing as silent witnesses. Number two, finally, to those in the room who find yourself skeptical or even unbelieving, consider Mark's ending. The skeptical women who approached the tomb on that day were given two simple things to place their faith in and stand on. Let me say that again. The skeptical women, the unbelieving women, the women who had lacked confidence in the resurrection, they approached the tomb that day and were given two simple things to place their faith in and stand on. You ready? A messenger and an empty tomb. A messenger and an empty tomb. Think about it. Throughout history, billions of people have given their lives to Jesus because God has sovereignly ordained them to listen to messengers talking about an empty tomb. This morning, you've been given a messenger. Now, I'm not very divine. I'm more dirty than I am divine. But this morning, you've been given a messenger. And this morning, history has given you the overwhelming evidence of an empty tomb. They still can't determine why the tomb was empty. All scholars will agree Jesus Christ was a man in history crucified by the Romans. He was buried in Joseph's tomb. And on the third day, they don't know what happened. Disciples knew what happened. 500 witnesses knew what happened. Women knew what happened. The Romans tried to say they stole his body. Men died for this. And in God's sovereignty, he says, all of history, all of humanity, I want their faith 
to be placed on two things a messenger preaching about the empty tomb and you may say why doesn't God just come down right now and show us all he's real because God doesn't want that kind of obedience he wants your faith he wants a relational interaction trust there's something that you have to step into beyond your logical explanation and you do it all the time this morning you must decide if it's true if it's true and maybe it's not this morning but you must decide if it's true because if it's true it changes everything and I want you to know that this commitment to Christ is lifelong that there's gonna be times where you're gonna suffer I know there are people in here right now, your faith is fading because you are suffering. Maybe you've lost a loved one or someone real close to you. And in Christianity, we celebrate, but we suffer. But I want you to know that when our, when our faith is in a rock, when our faith is built on a foundation of one who overcame death, then we can face suffering. And though it may hurt for a moment or for a season, we know that on the other side, that our faith solidified not in ourselves or anyone else but only in the one who's in control of everything i left you with two questions and then i'm going to pray and we're going to dismiss the first was to the christian how could we not how could we not share this gospel and the second one is to the unbeliever the skeptic or the one who finds himself here today maybe to pay homage or respect to a body that you thought is dead but i want you to know that throughout history People have come to faith based on two things, a messenger and the evidence of an empty tomb. And that's something that you're going to have to wrestle with. And if you're in here today and you're saying, you know what, I want to put my faith in Jesus. And that doesn't mean I'm going to live perfect, so perfectly obedient to the law. A lot of times we think Christianity is about a bunch of list of rules that is completely false. Christianity has rules so that we can look to Jesus who is the perfect fulfiller of all those rules and those rules will also point to you and me that we could never do it and so this isn't about going out and living this obedient perfect life this is about first and foremost putting your faith in the one who already did that for you and then walking out your faith in him from that place and so if there's anyone here today that would say, you know what, Phil, I, I'm not saying I know it all, but I would love to put my faith in Jesus. And I just don't know how. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Scripture tells us that all you have to do is just repent and believe the gospel. What is Repentance. Repentance is simply admitting I am a sinner and that should be easy because there's nobody in this room that would say they're perfect. Repentance, I'm a sinner. I don't measure up. I fall short of God's law every day. I deserve wrath. That's repentance. That's the bad news. But we believe the good news, the gospel, and the gospel says, well, Jesus was sinless. Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live and then took the wrath of God that you deserved and wore it fully upon him on the cross. And he died, but he didn't stay dead. He resurrected. And because he has resurrected, we will resurrect too. And so, Father, I just pray if there's anyone in this room that's fading in their faith or skeptical or unbelieving, and they want to go today from faithlessness to faith, I just pray right now it's that simple. You might say, what else do I need to do? What kind of hoops do I have to jump through? No, 
Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news, the good news. And so I just pray that this would be a room full of sinners repenting and believing the glorious, beautiful story of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we love you. Come on, right where you're at. In your own words, I don't have to lead you through a prayer. Your own words, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, God. I'm a sinner. There's no secret about that. But I believe you. And, and it's a battle and it's a fight because there's some things in scriptures that I have issues with. But, but if this resurrection is true, if you've risen from the dead, then it must captivate my life. So, Lord, I just thank you for every sinner in this room, which is all of us repenting and believing in the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that this Easter, Lord, would be one of the greatest Easters in our history, knowing this is the day we gave our life to you. Pray to, that you would be with us for the rest of today and the rest of this week. And you, Holy Spirit, you would continue to speak to every heart through the rest of this week for your honor for your glory we love you so much in jesus name we pray amen amen and amen have a wonderful wonderful easter enjoy your families everybody thank you for joining us for this week's inspired churches podcast don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every sunday you can keep up with inspired churches through instagram at inspired churches or on facebook at facebook.com slash inspired churches to support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.